Um, I haven't spoke here in, uh, it's been over three weeks now, because it was Zach, then two, then two weeks ago, uh, Mark shared a really good word I heard online, and last week I heard Marshall shared a really good word, and uh, so I guess it's my turn, but it's, it's, I, I'm hoping I don't pack in like eight sermons into one, because <laughs> it's been a while, but I'll try not to do that to, to you guys, but um, you know, thinking of the church and just life in the church and life with Christ a lot of people to this day still don't really understand what salvation is. They really don't understand it. And they can go to church their whole life. They can go to different denominations, different churches all over the place. It's, it's not just one group of people. It's, it's, I've seen it in a lot of different places. They really don't understand salvation. They don't understand if it's... Uh, if they can lose their salvation, or if it's once saved, always saved, if it's um, some believe that they can't really even know if they're saved or not. I remember I was golfing once with John Bowley, and it started to rain. This is at uh, Land Harbor, and this man came by, and we started talking to him. He, was, he grew up Catholic, and he said, he asked us, he said, can you actually really know that you're going to go to heaven? And I was like, yeah, you really can. The Bible says that we can, but this guy didn't know that. So we shared some time with him for a while, and there in the rain on the golf course that day several years ago, we led him to the Lord. It was pretty cool. One of my best experiences. Never had a hole in one yet, but this one was better than that uh, on the golf course. This guy would say, but some people just don't know, and, and they, they, they believe that they don't know if they're saved or not, and they hope that if they're good enough, that they'll make it. And you know, if it's going it's gonna to come down to if you're good enough, if you're going to make it, we're all without a paddle in the creek together. There is no one righteous, no, not one, outside of Christ. There is no one can earn their way there. Abraham couldn't do it. Paul couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. Nobody could do it but Jesus, and Jesus paid that price for us. So we can do this. So I'm going to talk about some of these things, try to hopefully clear up some of the confusion in this, what I believe the Word teaches. But first of all, the Bible says that we can know we are really saved. It's not a hope. It's not a knock on wood. The Bible says we can know. Let's look at that in 1 John 5, 13. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This is not something you have to hope, something that you wish. Yours, when you are born again, your spirit will bear witness with your the Holy Spirit, bear witness with your spirit that you are a son of God. You will know that you know that you know. Now, it doesn't mean you'll never doubt, but if you do doubt, there's scripture verses you can confess what the word of God says until that doubt goes away. It can go away. Amen? You don't have to go through life tormented, wondering every night, now I lay me down to sleep, pray, you know, all this kind of tormenting, fearful prayers. That's not a relationship with anybody. That's the, there's, no, there's no fear in a relationship. Like, Holly doesn't have to go every night to sleep. Like, dear God, I pray that Ryan still loves me by morning. But that, what kind of, it's the same kind of prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Hope God doesn't change his mind while I'm asleep. It's not what the Bible teaches, amen? Yeah. So another thing, um, too, on this is about losing our salvation. The Bible clearly teaches you can't be born again twice. People don't like to talk about that. If you can't be born again twice, then there's only so many options. That means it can only happen once. I'm not an expert on math, but I'm, I'm thinking. But I'll show you this first case. You've never read it, but it's in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. It says, For it is impossible for those who have once, 
when once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have uh, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. There's a lot of stuff mentioned there, a lot of things, but I'm just going to highlight it briefly. First of all, it says, you, the first verse said you can know that you have eternal life. Secondly, it says, if they fall away, which means it's possible, right? Now, I do believe once saved, always saved. I do believe because it's, it's, you can only get saved once. So you can get saved once and keep it, right? But it does say it's possible here. If possible, they'll fall away. And thirdly, it says, if they do fall away, it's impossible to get saved again. So when you hear stuff like this, this, that is the gospel truth of it. But when you hear it, that doesn't bring any reassurance yet. You're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And you know what? We have to know what we believe. Because when you don't know, the devil's going to come to steal the word, to see the word that was sown. And he's going to try to say, you're not really saved. Or if you really believe you are saved, you've committed the unpardonable sin. And now you've lost your salvation and you're not going to make it to heaven. I bet you probably 90% of the people in here, maybe 100%, have heard that in one way or another from the enemy because he speaks to everybody. He tried, the father of lies tries to make you believe lies. Even if he can't make you go to hell, he wants you to believe a lie so you will live in torment. Not knowing, like, white knuckle fear, like every time the pastor's preaching in some churches where they preach on hell every Sunday, like the floor is going to disappear and they're going to swallow them up alive. I'm just wondering, do you really know Jesus? I mean, Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost. He doesn't need to scare the hell out of you. He went to hell for you. Amen? I'm just telling you, we don't need to have fear tactics in the church. The love of God is good enough. Love casts out fear. Fear has to do with torment. Fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with manipulation. Love is a relationship. It's God loved us. He wants to bring us into his family. Amen? So... If we can't get saved twice and we can fall away, how secure is our salvation? Are these two uh, deeper questions for you guys for first Sunday back? I don't know, but to me, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is heaven or hell type questions, right? So the truth is once we are saved and we're truly saved, the Bible says we are saved to the uttermost. We are completely saved. It's not a gradual progression of salvation. There is a gradual progression in your sanctification or your holiness process. You become more and more like him. But as far as your salvation, you are either saved or you're not. There's no like back and forth. You can't, I remember saying this to a Baptist girl because I, I grew up in a Methodist church where they believed you could get saved a hundred times. And I said to this girl, I've been saved like a hundred times. And she looked at me like I was crazy. She goes, you can't be saved a hundred times. Either you're saved or you're not saved. You can only get saved one time. I thought she was crazy. <laughs> but now reading the Bible, I know she was right and I was totally wrong. And guess which one would have had more peace? Someone who knows they're saved or the one who's getting saved a hundred times. Every altar call, man, I better get myself down there. I better get down there. and make sure I earn my, do something on my part. Well, guess what? Jesus already did everything on his part to make you holy, sanctified, set apart, holy unto him. His work was good enough. One-time sacrifice for all of us. It really is that good. I think we need to put amazing back in amazing grace. I really do. I think sometimes we have people teaching grace and they, they're afraid of taking it too far and they're afraid of they're going to be greasy grace and they're going to be whatever. And Listen, no one's teaching grace. No one that I know is teaching grace. And I'm not teaching grace. It tells you to go out and sin every day. It doesn't really matter. 
It does matter. You open the door to demons in your life, death, destruction, the enemy. That's not good. He's trying, the Father is trying to protect us from these things. But the grace of God empowers us to say no to these temptations, no to this ungodly living. And that's something that's not greasy. That's something that's power empowering. And I think we need to put amazing back in amazing grace. Amen? So now the, the part about falling away, I just mentioned this briefly. I personally believe this is actually a rare thing. It is not a common thing. You had five or six things if they've done this, if they've done this, tasted the heavenly gift. They've, they've, they've operated in spiritual gifts. They've known the word of God. They've walked in the power of God. They've seen God move in their lives. And if they fall away, I don't know if the word, I didn't look up that word, what it really means, but the Bible says no one can pluck, pluck us out of his, his hand. But it looks like from different verses it is possible to jump out. Now, I don't, uh, this is going to go further than I want it to, but anyway, um, <laughs> there's so many what if this and what if that. I don't think somebody can get drunk and take their life and say some kind of mean and nasty thing to God and out of anger, and all of a sudden they just instantly lose their salvation because they had one bad night. I think a lot of times people go to funerals, and even funerals where people have committed suicide, and there's no guarantee just because they committed suicide that they're in hell. I wasn't planning on saying this, but maybe it's for someone that's in here. They had a bad day. They made a bad choice. The devil was tempting them, tormenting them, whispering in their ear, you're no good. You're a loser. Why don't you just end it all? No one cares about you. No one even go to your funeral. They're hearing all this mess. They're not hearing the love of God, and they have one bad day. They make a bad choice. That doesn't mean they've renounced their salvation. They could have, been, they could have done it in fear, like, oh, God, forgive me, and boom, or whatever, they, however they did it. I know that's really a dreadful thing to think about, but I've gone to at least two funerals around here where I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go up and whisper in those parents' ears uh, that their son or their daughter is in heaven. And so I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I've got to make sure I'm hearing you, God. And then I, when I, the time is right, I've done it, and they just like drop and just start sobbing. It is impossible to understand our salvation without understanding we have a covenant with God through Jesus. This covenant is not based on your works. This covenant is based on blood. It's based on holy blood. It's based on perfect blood. Okay? It is not all around you. It's not all about you. It's not, uh, you don't have to get re-saved because you told a lie or you cursed or swore or you told a dirty joke. You did something you shouldn't have done or whatever it was you did or didn't or God told you to do something. Go witness to this guy and you were too afraid and you didn't. You're not going to get re-saved. Because you can't get resaved, right? So what you get is receive forgiveness, receive mercy and help in time of need, and God helps you, and you walk through it in a relationship with God. It's a relationship. It's not an earning. It's not a working. It's not an achieving. It's receiving. Amen? Christianity is not do, do, do. It's done, done, done. It's finished. It's finished. For you Now we can just walk in what God said about us is true and believe it. And as we believe what he said about us is true, we'll walk in victory and liberty. Amen. Amen. Now i got to try to find where I'm going to go in my notes because that was like, oh, anyway. Um, so today we're going to look at salvation a little bit more, what it really means, salvation is a New Testament believer. Many believe that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are mixed together in the New Covenant. And I'm telling you, that is not true. And those that mix the Old Covenant and the New Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant together, they're going to live in bondage. They're going to have bondage in their lives. Because the Old Covenant was never designed to release you from bondage. The Old Covenant was designed to show you that you're in bondage. Okay? 
And just to show you this, in case you're not sure about this, and I have, I have, a, I meant to print that, but I have this paper with about 30 verses on it to show how we're not under the law anymore. But Hebrews 10.4, if you want it, let me know, I can get it for you. Hebrews 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law. I don't know how that can become more clear. Right? He's the end. The end means the end. Uh, Hebrews 8.13 says, Christ made the first covenant obsolete. Means it doesn't matter anymore. Now, of course, it still has a place for those that aren't saved. But those that are righteous, it talks about in Titus, it's not for us. It's for whoremongers. It's for sinners. It's for liars. It's for cheaters. It's not for the righteous, it says in Titus. So another verse, Romans uh, 7, 6. But, but now, by dying to what once bound us, bound us, what's bound? Bondage. We have been released from the law so we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. Paul calls the old way bondage. Do you see that? Yet some people, they want to fight with people over town. Don't you try to take the Ten Commandments away from me. Don't you try to take the law away from me. You don't need them. You have the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit's greater than stone tablets. (laughs) Are you here? You don't need the law. I mean, the law still is needed. It's still fine to have at the courthouse. It's still fine to have for those that are lost. But for believers, we now have Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Spirit of God in us. We don't need that to govern us. The Holy Spirit governs us. He's still not going to let you go kill, lie, cheat, steal. He's still going to convict you of those things. You don't need it written on stone to tell you not to uh, cheat on your wife. The Holy Spirit put that love of God in you to, to act like a, a good person and act like Jesus. Amen. So the, the Spirit of God is by far better than the, the Old Testament law, okay? It doesn't mean the law is bad. The Bible says the law is holy, righteous, and good. But the problem was we weren't, right? And we needed a Savior, okay? So Paul calls it bondage. He calls it bondage again in Galatians 4.24. Which things are symbolic, for, the, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. Okay, question. For those Bible scholars out there, uh, you would have had to read your Bible a whole lot to know the answer to this one, okay? What happened on Mount Sinai? Anybody? Right, the law was given. The Ten Commandments and other laws, right? And what did, what did the Ten Commandments give birth to? I think it's still on the screen. You can leave it there for a second. Bondage, Okay. The law wasn't released to free you from it. Jesus came to the earth to set you free. All right? The law came, was introduced to show us that we are in bondage to the power of sin. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin. Amen? So you, why would you want to mix this with that one? They just don't mix. It's oil and water and worse than that. But Paul also calls the law of, of, of Moses the ministry of death and condemnation. I know I've taught this before, I've said this before, but it's amazing to me, these verses have been made clear to me, how many people will get so upset over, don't you touch my Ten Commandments, don't you touch the law. And they think, they think the law was put in place to make us righteous, when the Bible clearly says no one will be made righteous by observing the law. So it didn't make them holy, righteous, and good, it showed them that they weren't. Jesus came to make us holy, righteous, good through his spirit that he put in us from his sacrifice in his resurrection. So in uh, so Paul calls it the ministry of death and condemnation in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 7 through 9. So when the law was given to Moses, 
You remember this? He was up there 40 days, 40 nights. It says he didn't eat or drink. So that's a supernatural time he had with God. He receives the Ten Commandments. He's coming down Mount Sinai, and all of a sudden he hears a bunch of noise. What's going on in the camp? Remember the story? He gets down there, and his brother, I mean, his brother act all innocent. His brother, his Aaron, he, he received gold from all his people. He said he threw this gold in the fire, and out came this calf. Like, come on, you're supposed to be a priest. You think he's that dumb to believe that? You had to hand-carve that. Thing. A calf's not going to jump out of the fire. They're down there worshiping this golden image. They're saying, this is the God that brought them out of Israel. They were offering animal sacrifice to this golden image. Okay, many believe that happened on the, the day of Pentecost, the first Pentecost, 50 days after they came out of Egypt, 50 days after Passover. And what happened that day? He came down. Of course, he, he, he breaks the law. He was the first lawbreaker, wasn't he? He broke the Ten Commandments. He breaks the law. Boom, he smashes them everywhere. He's angry. He had an anger problem. We see it multiple times in the Bible. And he couldn't get free from it either. Because you have to get free in the New Testament. You can't get free from stuff under the law. Just highlight stuff. But you can't get free from it. All right? So what happened then? What happened after he breaks the law? And what happens? All right, okay. What happened to the people? 3,000 people died that day. 3,000 people died. Why do you think it's called the ministry of death? Ministry of death and condemnation, right? Fast forward 1,500 years later in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out. They're in there fearful. They're in there scared. It's the day of Pentecost when it fully come. Paul, Peter gets up, preached this message, and what happened that day? 3,000. You think that's a coincidence? 3,000 were added to the kingdom that day. Why? Because the law kills it, 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 uh, it separates, it divides, it subtracts, it kills. But the, the Spirit of God is, adds, it multiplies, it gives life. The Spirit gives life. That's why it says in, um, I have it here, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter of the law kills, but the Holy Spirit of God gives us life. You know, there's lots of laws in, the, in our country today that when taken to the letter of the law, they mean something not exactly the same as it was intended to by those who created the law. You, maybe, you've experienced, maybe you've experienced that. Some lawyers will follow uh, exploiting technicalities and loopholes and ambiguous language to try to make it mean something it doesn't mean for the benefit of themselves to try to win a court case or something when it didn't really mean that at all. And you know, the Pharisees were like that too. The Pharisees were like that with Jesus, weren't they? Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. The law does say that the woman should be put to death. But it also says that the man and the woman should be put to death. Do you think the Pharisees knew that law? Yeah, they knew that law. So they, they brought this woman to Jesus, and they knew Jesus knew the law. They knew that he obeyed the law. He didn't disobey the law. Yet at the same time, he, they knew somehow he's going to try to save that woman. I just know it. Isn't that funny? They want her dead. He want her to live. Which one was the law? Which one was the spirit of grace? Jesus was trying to save her. They were trying to kill her. Okay? So the law wasn't made for that. So these, uh, that's what they, all they wanted to really do is try to prove Jesus was wrong and win an argument. Because they had tried before, and they failed and failed and failed, and Jesus outsmarted them again and again and again. And I don't know what he did that day. He wrote on the sand, did some things. There's speculation what he did. We don't know. But the reality is there was a conflict going on. And the conflict was law versus grace. And who won? 
because grace always triumphs. It always triumphs over the law. Okay, so um, these guys use the law for their benefit, and that's what legalistic people do. They have to be right. They have to win an argument. They have to look superior to somebody else. That is not the spirit of grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ should make us gracious towards one another. Not, I have to win this argument because I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I'm superior to you. Look down on people and things like that. That doesn't come from God. That is your flesh. That is not heavenly. Amen. When you see it in others, you're like, oh, that's disgusting. But sometimes we need to see it in ourselves too. Amen. So apparently the Pharisees thought they had Jesus beat here. They thought they had him in a, a trap they couldn't get out of. But somehow Jesus, by the grace of God, saved that woman's life. And he took the penalty that she deserved according to the law, and he took it on himself. Guys, there's, there's penalties that we deserve. Uh, if, the, if the law was still instituted the way it was written, there, I don't know if any of us would still be alive today. We'd have an empty church, wouldn't we? Empty world. But because of the grace of Jesus... I guess like the song says, he changed everything. Amen? And he was the game changer. I got a lot of VBS stuff in me from a week of that. But um, now these Pharisees were correct, but they didn't understand the heart of God. And you know, still in church today, you'll have the Pharisees, and then there's some Sadducees, because they're sad, you see, and they don't, they don't, they don't see Jesus, so they're sad. But uh, there's Pharisees and those that have been freed by the grace of God. And the Bible says they're still in conflict to this day, just like um, Esau, Isaac, and Ishmael. Yeah, Isaac and Ishmael. They're in conflict today because they have the same father, but they have a different mother. We read part of the verse earlier where the, this gave birth to the law, but that Sarah gave birth to the spirit, a supernatural birth to give us life. Yeah. Amen. So the same way that the Pharisees and Jesus didn't get along, they didn't merge their beliefs together, law and grace can't be mixed together today. And if you mix law and grace together today, you're going to remain in bondage because it's only the truth of the grace of Jesus that can set us free. True grace is received humbly. True grace makes you feel like, I don't deserve this, but I thank you for it. True grace doesn't make you boast. True grace doesn't want to make you see how far you can push the line, how much sin I can do, and Jesus still loves me. You don't even think like that when you're in a relationship with someone who died for you who was raised from the dead for you, paid the penalty so you can have a relationship with God again, why do we want to think of ways we can get by with something stupid? It's, it's inferior thinking, amen? So those people that think like that, I have a question, they might not be saved at all because you can't get saved twice. So maybe they haven't been saved yet. Only God really knows this, this speculation, but I, if for me... I want to know that I know that I know that I'm born again and saved, not wait till one day and like, oh, stink. And I was one of the ones banging on the door like, hey, wait a minute, I prophesied for you. Hey, man, I prayed for the sick and, and they got healed. And, and uh, how, how come I'm not getting in? And it's like, you didn't know me. You, you don't get to go to heaven because you have perfect church attendance. We get to go to heaven, or better yet, heaven comes in us. The Father comes in us. Jesus gives access to the Father because what Jesus did for us, it's by grace. And it is amazing. It is amazing. And anyone tells you it's not amazing, they haven't got it yet. Okay? They haven't got it. This has to be perceived and received. But when you receive the abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, you shall reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that what the word says? He who received the abundant provision, not the, oh, well, I got enough to do me. 
I've got enough to do me. I'm a, I'm a relatively good person. I think I can make it and squeak in on my good works. No, you are a fool. A fool built his house as the sand comes down crashing quickly. You cannot earn your salvation. It's a free gift to receive by grace. He paid for it. Why would you want to earn it? Amen? Amen. So you can't mix long grace. You just can't do it. And I believe it's impossible for us to truly understand salvation without understanding the grace covenant. The covenant of grace. And this is where I was really missing it growing up when I thought I got saved a hundred times and all this kind of stuff. I was missing it because I didn't understand there's been a covenant put in place that I've been engrafted into. I thought it's because I went to the altar and I prayed a prayer. The pastor said I was good. I thought, hey, I've been baptized. I did all these right things. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I thought I was good. I didn't understand there's been a covenant made by God the Father with Jesus the Son, and we are benefact- benefactors of that covenant of grace. Yeah. And we now inherit righteousness as a free gift because God is just so good and he loves you so much. He wants to make sure you can't screw this up. So you won't like Abraham did, like Moses did, like Adam did, like every other man covenant that was made. So he said, I'm going to send my perfect son, Jesus, and I make sure he's never going to fail. He's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's never going to fail. His covenant is established forever on better covenant, on better blood, on better promises. Amen. And that's the new covenant of grace we live in. And we should not be ashamed of the covenant of grace or people, because people call it greasy grace or sloppy agape and all these other kind of names people come up with. Jesus is absolutely and passionately in love with you so much he suffered and died, rose from the dead so you don't have to. And not just that, so you can have a relationship with him every day. Not just on Sunday or on Wednesday or whatever, but every single day of your life, you get to have an intimate fellowship with Jesus because what he did. Not because you did everything right. Amen? I don't, I don't earn one second in heaven because I preach a sermon that you like or don't like. I, I receive it by inheritance because God is good. Amen. He loves me. Don't know why sometimes, but he just sees something in us that we don't see sometimes. And he goes, that's my boy. It's like, you know, they, they say that that boy is a, a boy only his mama could love. It's kind of like that with God. Like We're just the, the boy, the girl, that only his mama or daddy can love, whatever. But he does. And he does love us. Amen? And it's good. So I'm going to show you briefly six things connected with grace and connected with our salvation that is ours through inheritance because of the goodness of God. Okay? And I want you just to turn on your faith to receive it. I know many of you know this, but it's going to, it can be a refresher to reassure your salvation. But also for those that don't know it, it's going to be good for you to hear. Okay? First one is Romans 6.14. I'm going to go through these pretty quick, but... Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. We're under something, that something is over us, right? I know that's really profound, but think about it. Like if you're under a car, the car is over you, right? If you're under the house working on the plumbing, the house is over top of you. So right now we are under grace, so grace is over us. It's over us, okay? And what did it say here? If we're under the law, sin is our master. If we're under grace, Jesus is our master. Do you see that? Why would you want to mix those together? I don't know. But uh, if we're under the law, sin will be rule over us. If we're under grace, Jesus will rule over us. So again, why would we want to mix sin with Jesus? We just don't make the connection sometimes, but I'm telling you, if you, the law empowers sin. Jesus empowers righteousness. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Praise God. I'm, I'll preach myself happy if you don't get there. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'll preach myself happy because we can't, we can't do this. But Jesus did it for us. Amen. So, so talk about grace. Let me first define grace. In the Old Testament, the word was the word shen. It's in there about 60 times in the Old Testament, and it means favor in God's sight or favor in the eyes of the Lord. You probably think of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So it means favor. And I thank God that we have received favor with God because of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. I want to tell you, we need to stand up for a second, do head and shoulders, knees and toes. I got a few more. I'm, I'm going to finish this message whether you fall asleep or not, just so you know. <laughs> so if you need to do head and shoulders, knees and toes, I'm going to finish it, even if it's just preaching myself happy. Because, uh, <laughs> it's cause, but in the New Testament, the Greek word for grace is charis. Okay, it's like Andrew Womack School, Karis Bible College. The word means acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, gracious, joy, liberty, liberality, pleasure, thanks, or thanksworthy. It's a, it's a very big, full word. But the common definition of that is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Okay, we have received, because of Jesus, unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor with God Almighty himself who breathed the world into existence from his own words. And he, you have favor with him now because what Jesus did for you. That is not a small thing. Okay? I know our emotions can make us feel like we're uh, 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 but Jesus says this. We believe Jesus, our emotions can go somewhere else. Focus on what Jesus said about us. Our emotions will shift and change daily, multiple times a day, but God loves you. And he prophesied this in Isaiah 61 too. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is not literally a one-year period of favor. It's a, it's a term. It's an era of favor. We're now in, a, in an era, in the new covenant, of favor with God because of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. And what are you going to do about it? I can say is thanks. You can keep trying to earn favor, but you already have it. It's a gift of grace. It's, a, it's what the word means. It means grace. So in the grace covenant, we now have favor with God. That's number one of six. We have favor with God. Number two is in the grace covenant, Jesus made us accepted or acceptable in the beloved family of God. Amen. Amen. That's good news. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 6 says to praise in the glory of his grace, his grace, by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. He made you that way. When you were born again, recreated holy and righteous in Christ Jesus, he made you acceptable for God Almighty himself. What did he do in there? He did something in there. He made you holy and acceptable before God. Before God. You are right now. Not when you die and get to heaven. It's your born again spirit he made perfected forever, Hebrews 10, 14 says. All right, number three. In the grace covenant, God has provided salvation for everyone who believes. Amen? All right? Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Amen? I've said this before, but imagine at Christmas time you bought gifts for your kids, and you say, Hey, Dad, how much do I owe you for this one? You'd be like, What are you talking about? That's an insult to me. And we, I think we insult the spirit of grace, and we try to earn something that Jesus provided for us. Salvation is a gift to be received humbly through faith. And th thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. So when you think of salvation, the first thing, one of the things I think of right away is forgiveness of sins. And uh, in Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Through grace, all your sins, all your lawless deeds, the Bible says, he remembers no more. It takes faith to believe that. It doesn't take any faith to believe you stink and you're horrible and you're this awful person. Woe is me. Oh, I'm so horrible. It doesn't take any faith to believe that. That's just emotional mumbo jumbo. It takes faith to believe what God says about you is true. That righteous shall live by faith, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. You want to truly come alive in your spirit, believe what your father said about you is true and not your emotional makeup of having a bad day because somebody was mean to you on Facebook or something. You know? All right. So, um... According to the Bible, the Bible says that all of our sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. Now, you know, some people have a problem with this, uh, and they just need to read their Bible, because there's been one sacrifice for all time for sin, Jesus. All the sins, all your sins that have been forgiven were future sins for Jesus, because it was after the cross, Right? So why do we think it was another payment had to be made after that? Like we have to do penance. We have to do something. We have to go on a long fast. We have to do something else to punish ourselves. We mess up. No, we need to fall on the grace of God and thank him. And receive grace and mercy in time of need. Let me read this Hebrews 10. It says, by that will, his new will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all. Not a second time. Not a hundred times, like I thought I could get saved, once and for all. Now, is this referring to all people or all time? And technically, just getting into it, I think it refers to both. But in the context here, it's actually talking about time. I'll show you this through the next three verses. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are, the word being there is not even there, it's probably on the screen, but it's not in the original language, those who are sanctified, set apart. By one offering he made you perfect forever in your born again spirit, forever, forever, by one sacrifice, amen? amen? And you see it's talking about time. It talks about forever, repeatedly, daily. All those words are words talking about time. Jesus made a one-time sacrifice that made us righteous and holy in the sight of God because of his blood forever. Amen. That sounds like a one saved, always saved verse to me. Now, if I want to get foolish and throw it all away, count it as nothing, the blood of Jesus, count it worthy or whatever, it says it is possible to jump ship. Hello, bug. Um, but why would you want to? This is amazing grace. It's a love covenant. It's a grace covenant. Amen? I'm going to show you one more verse here on, on this forgiveness of sins. First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay? The Greek tense for this word cleanse here denotes a present and continuous action, which means that from the moment we receive Christ, the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us. Amen. It's continuously cleansing us. It's like we're under this waterfall of forgiveness and love and mercy under God's blessing and waterfall. 
I'm telling you, the gospel message, when you really take it for what it actually is and says, it's the too good to be true news. It's always called the good news. It is good news. You are forgiven. Sin is not your problem anymore. Believing lies is the problem. You renounce these lies you believe, receive the truth of God's word, and the truth will set you free. So you will know the truth. The truth will make you set you free. Amen. Amen. The Bible says he's not counting your sins against you anymore. So why are we counting them against ourselves? We're focusing on the wrong thing. We become so sin conscious, we don't realize we need to become righteousness in Christ conscious. And we become righteous in Christ conscious, we're going to sin a whole lot less. Everywhere you go, like, man, Christ is in me. Christ is in me. I'm not going to do that. Christ is in me. Well, I'm not going to think, no, Christ is in me. Become aware that he's in you. You're not even going to think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh that the Bible talks about. All right, number four. Just a couple more. In the grace covenant, there is, this is just summarizing that last one. In the grace covenant, there is a perpetual forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Amen. If, you, if you steal an orange and you fall out of a tree and bang your head on the way down and you die, guess what? You can still go to heaven. <laughs> I know that might sound stupid. We talked about that for a week in Bible college. And, and 99% of the class said you would die you would go to hell because you stole something. And the Bible even says if you steal and you're hungry, not to, not to punish that person. But anyway, um, there's perpetual forgiveness of your sins. Amen? Amen? Are you okay? Number five, in the grace covenant, we have been redeemed from the power of sin. The power of sin. Not just the forgiveness of your sins, but the empowerment for you to stop sinning. Not live in sin. Not live in filth in this stuff anymore. And I'm telling you, that needs to be taught a lot more than it is being taught. But Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be your master, for you're not under the law, but under grace. In other words, for uh, master there is the word power, dominion, mastery, rule, authority, control, ownership. They will not be over you, own you, have dominion over you because you're not under the law anymore. You're under the power of grace, which empowers you to say no to ungodly things. Something you couldn't do before, you're now empowered to do afterwards because you've received Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Ephesians 1, 7. Excuse me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So it says we have redemption there, but what does redemption mean? It means liberation or release from bondage. In him we have redemption. Okay? What are we redeemed from? The bondage of sin. The bondage of the law, but also the bondage of sin, because the law empowered our sin. There was no such thing as sin before. Sin was in the world, it wasn't taken into account because there was no law at the time. So we've been redeemed from the power of sin. You know, in some churches, <clears throat> they teach that you're going to sin every day. In mind, thought, and deed, there's nothing you can do about it. You just, you just go to 1 John 1 9, confess your sins. He's faithful, just forgive you all your sins, cleanse for all unrighteousness, implying that you've become unrighteous every time you sin. There's another not truth. And when there was a one-time sacrifice, all time for sin, made you holy for him. Now, if you're hearing this message, think, all right, I get to live like the devil. And st- you, you, you might need to check your pulse. You might need to check if you're really saved. That's not what I'm saying. The grace will, of God will empower you to live holy. Amen. It'll empower you to live like him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, so this is not just forgiveness of if we sin, this is the power of God to not yield to sin, and the power of God to say no to sin. And last but not least, in the grace covenant, we now have access to the throne of grace where we can receive help and mercy when we need it. 
We're not orphans. We're not abandoned. He didn't leave us here alone. He gave us of his spirit. He said, it's beneficial for you that I go away. I'm going to give you the spirit who can be with you all the time. I'll read this verse. It's in Hebrews 4, 4, 15. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. There's a grace in this new grace covenant that will help you. With what? Anything you need. You're in need. You're in a time of need. There's grace to help you. You're struggling with lying, with cursing. You're struggling with addictions to drugs or porn. There's a grace that can help you in your time of need to redeem you from that mess into, into his holiness and not to live like that. Amen. Many in this room are on the other, other side of those strong temptations. They come out of that and now they're into something else because the grace of God empowers them to say no to those things. So if you're in there, grace to you. But don't stay there because you don't have to because the power of God sets you free. Amen. Amen. Help with wisdom. Help with money. Help with health. Help is help. If you are in need of help, there's a grace, and it's in the throne room, to go in there and talk to the Father, and he's going to give you the help that you need. It might not happen instantaneously, but he's going to give you the, the peace, the past understanding. He's going to give you wisdom and counsel. He's going to instruct you in the things of righteousness, and he's gonna, he, the Bible says he will answer our prayers. Amen? Amen? All right, so the new covenant, we are saved by grace through faith, and we now live under this covenant of grace. Amen? We now relate to God through his goodness, not through our works. We do good works because we are saved. We don't do good works to become saved. Amen. It's just a fruit of who, who, what God's done. So to summarize this, and if you guys want to come up, we're going to close with a song. Um, summarize this. Living under grace, there's favor with God. And I didn't go through, there, you could probably do 100 things. I don't know what the number is under grace. There's lots of things. I've got six here. But there's favor with God. We are accepted in the beloved. There is salvation there's forgiveness of sins. There's redemption for the power of sin. And there's help and mercy in our time of need. Amen. This is the new covenant. Yes. Found on better promises, on better blood. Why do we want to ever mix that with the law? Just like Jesus and the Pharisees didn't mix, law and grace doesn't mix. Amen. You don't need it. You need the spirit of God, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He's not going to guide you into sinning. He's going to guide you into lies. Amen? He's guiding you into the truth. He said, he who, um, who, you, who has the spirit of God and the love of God, they're going to fulfill the law just because the love of God's in them. They're not going to hurt people. The love of God's not going to lead me to lie to you and cheat you and do uh, bad business deals and embezzle and cheat and lie. The spirit of God's never going to lead you to do that. Right? Will you guys stand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see a good video on Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it was an old. Cam- Wish we had a better camera back then, but uh, um, we made a video years ago, and it's pretty funny on YouTube. It's called Noah found grace, and Gerald was the star of the show in that, in that movie. But um, it's very—it's human nature to try to earn something. You get what you get. You know, you earn it, you work hard, you put your foot to the pedal, you put you grind and you work and you whatever and you just this is the only religion out there that has any form of grace in it at all. 
any form of savior, any form of grace. It's the only religion in the world still that has any form of grace in it. Because the law, there is no grace. And those religions don't have grace in it because they don't have Jesus. So I want to tell you today, God Almighty loved you so much, he sent Jesus to set you free. From sin, the power of sin, from death, hell, the grave. You can, like, like I said, those who receive the abundant provision of grace, you're going to reign in this life. Not barely make it through. Because Christ is in you, amen. amen. Let me pray for you, then we're going to worship Jesus. Um, God, this is amazing grace. Um, it's only because the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those that are unbelievers so they can't see or the kingdom would be flooding in like even more than they already are. Because if anyone saw your face, anyone really knew how good you really are, how could they possibly say no to you? How could they possibly? You love us so much. God, I bless your children here today. If there is someone in this room that doesn't know you, that doesn't really know that they're actually born again or say they never made you the Lord of their life, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. It wouldn't be just a prayer or a statistic we could put on our website, but they'd know the truth, and that truth would make them free and liberated from the bondage of sin and come into a, a beautiful, pure relationship with a heavenly Father who loves us. So God, we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name.